0: Kia ora, I'm Sharon Brett Kelly. Today on The Detail, I meet a man who has two lives. He has a young family in Vanuatu, but he spends more time in New Zealand. He is one of thousands of recognised seasonal workers. The people who pick, pack, and prune and look after the stuff we like to eat and export. They're now back in the country after COVID closed the borders and threw the horticulture sector into crisis. The value of RSE workers was brought into sharp focus during the COVID-19 lockdown,
1: with many growers forced to watch produce shrivel on the vine. Uh, and we've got a huge crisis on our hands. If we don't get the RSEs, a lot of people will be looking down the barrel of going out of business It's as simple as that.
0: But these vital workers can
2: get a raw deal. Everyone wants to clip the tickets when they come through and our experience getting told by them is there's not a hell of a lot of money left to be sent home by the time they're... They've paid everything. They work hard, but they might not have been being paid what equivalently skilled New Zealanders would would accept to take what are, at times, quite difficult jobs. Rules against socialising and drinking alcohol remain restrictive for many RAC workers, some of whom are even subject to curfews.
0: And there are worse cases than that. I talked to Stuff senior business journalist Alipa Fonseca, who has investigated stories of mistreatment. But first to Blenheim, it's late afternoon in the kitchen of the seasonal worker's house.
1: My name is Ray Wanemut. I've been to New Zealand for, this is my eighth season. So I started coming here in um, 2013. Do you come to the same place? I actually go up north to Hawkes picking apples for three months and then coming, come down to Blenheim for another four months. But this year things got changed, so I, I got a chance to go down to Central Taco Experience, Alexandra, beautiful place, Taking apples and then come back up to play them for pruning. Okay, and what are you pruning? But uh, The pruning is done now. We're doing the summer job lifting the wires and stuff.
0: <laughs> Can I hear someone in the background?
1: Oh, it's the boys cooking. Okay. <laughs>
0: Are you, oh, well, tell me, about, are you in a house or tell me about where you're living?
1: There's a new accommodation that my company is Seasonal Solutions. So they built a new accommodation. They've got nine units and we've got uh, in one unit, there's 24 boys in the, in the unit. So, Do you share rooms, bedrooms? Yes, we do. There's four person to a room and six showers and four toilets. So,
0: Before you came there, did you know the other people that you're sharing with?
1: Yes, the boys that we share with. Um, we came all the way from another together. We're like a family, and we we know each other. Yeah.
0: That must be important when you're so far away from your own family.
1: Yes, it is. Like I said, it's it's pretty really hard. We here to earn money to help the family. So I mean, there's two sides of the coin. It's hard. Because if I go home, but with this COVID, there's nothing. It's better to stay here. Then a bit of money and then go home, support okay. family. So you're team leader. Yes. So I look after 23 grown men. So. Oh,
0: wow. That's a responsibility. <laughs> yeah.
1: That's a very big responsibility. I mean, how can you control 23 big men with alcohol and stuff? It's very it's really hard, but like I said, I'm a person who always think positive every time. So it's been eight, eight months and we're still, we're still going, running smoothly for us. Will you go home for Christmas? I'm not sure. Maybe I'm staying till next year. Due to this pandemic, the flights have been booked, so we don't know where, really when we're going home.
0: What's that like for you to think that you might not be home for Christmas?
1: It's hard, um, especially when we have families and wife and kids back home. Can you
0: tell me a bit about your family?
1: I've got a wife. Um, she's she's Pigeon. And I've um, got two sons, one age of 10. And the other one is age of four, and I've got a new new pontora. When I arrived here, she was born, so I haven't seen her, and she's telling at EA in March, so I'm probably going home before March for her first birthday. That's how tough it is to work to come here and work.
0: So you haven't seen her, but you hopefully you will see her before March.
1: Yes, hopefully.
0: What kind of contact do you have with
1: your family? With our Facebook and Messenger is is easy. So I bought um, a Wi-Fi back home. So we contact like every afternoon, every morning before going to work. So
0: yeah. So so you actually you do FaceTime? Do you do FaceTime? Oh, yes, Yes, we do. So you see your children? You can see your baby
1: girl. Yeah, she. He doesn't know who I am yet, but.
0: (laughs) And Ray, why did you come to New Zealand in the first place?
1: Um, Back home. My last job before coming to New Zealand, I used to be an airport firefighter, but I started a family. I mean, life is hard, so I need more cash. I've got the opportunity because I'm a driver, so I find it easier and work conditions and stuff is really good. So I held on to it for eight years and maybe another two years and then it's going to be my retirement. Oh, is that right?
0: (laughs) And so what difference does it make to your life and your family's life, that you that you come here and earn New Zealand wages, I suppose.
1: Look, um, before coming here to New Zealand, we had a good conversation with my family. We talk about the good side and the bad side. With my wife, we we talk a lot, and then we decided, yeah, it's. Cause by the time I've got only one son, and he's finding it hard without me, but. When I go home, I talk to him, this is what Dad is doing for you, not for me. It's just trying to build a good future for you. But um, what I'm saying is another two years, that means uh, it's going to be it. So I've got another time to spend them, spend with them for years to come.
0: So was it a case that the the job that you had there in Vanuatu was um, not well paid, so hard to get ahead? Does it doesn't mean that you can build your own house, send your children to a good school?
1: Yeah. The wages days is really, really, really low. I've got friends that work in the bank and stuff. They're leaving all the jobs. So coming here, working in the vineyard, in the orchards, picking apples, in the New Zealand wages, you find it easier to kickstart your life. The thing that changes the boys a lot is we come here, the lifestyle that we, we learn in New Zealand. It's different from back home, so we try to... Act up to what what we learn here.
0: So how every year I know that this this last year or so has been a bit different. But each year, how long do you spend here in New Zealand? I normally
1: come seven months and then I go home.
2: The full number of participants from each source country is well down this year, and contractors in the fruit picking sector in particular are desperate to get as many as possible over to New Zealand.
0: How tough has it been? You know, before you came back here this time around, what was it like?
1: You mean back home? mm mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Last year, it's really, really tough. We don't get help, especially us RSDs. Uh, even though we're helping the countries, we really don't get help from the government at all. We just make gardens and bucket gardening, and that's what keeps us going. Just go to go to your land, piece of land, plant some cassava, whatever you can plant. And so when
0: New Zealand opened up the borders, yeah. that must have been a huge
1: relief? To a lot of people, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a big relief and it, most of the boys went through a hard time, but now I think coming back makes it easier for yeah. for us back home, yeah.
0: This time, Ray's visa has been extended, and we'll hear more of his story and the rigid rules workers must live by in New Zealand. But here's Lipa Fonseca on how desperate things got for the workers and the horticulture sector.
2: If you look at just in June in Samoa, Australia opened up its seasonal worker programme, and as soon as they opened it up, they had to close it that very day because people were so desperate to get in that they were clamouring at the gate basically and windows were smashed and they had to basically close off the whole thing because there was too much kind of chaos going on. And so that is how uh, important it is, how how in demand these schemes are. There was a particular set of workers I talked to who came from the Solomon Islands for a very good job in the Solomon Islands. uh, They would earn maybe about 50 cents an hour, even if we are paying these workers minimum wage, uh, would be substantially above um, what they're earning in their home countries.
0: Dalipa, why did you start doing stories about RSE workers?
2: Well, I've always been doing stories about migration and migrants. And the seasonal worker scheme is interesting because it's a big gap that no one, not even migrant worker advocates, really get into. And you know, I've always been curious about what actually happens in in this scheme where you are the most temporary of temporary migrants, basically, and... It really came to a head in the pandemic uh, because I started to get reports coming in where because the borders had closed and because COVID was raging, now seasonal workers who'd been here for you know a couple of months weren't able to get back home because the countries weren't accepting them. Um, there was also another worry that was going on in the background, which was if these countries take these workers back, uh, will they be able to send them again? And if they don't send them again, then the country loses a huge amount of earnings. So the seasonal workers are kind of caught in the middle of this at that point in time. They were unable to get back home and also they were staying much longer in the country than they expected and they were staying in conditions that they hadn't expected to live in.
0: When you say their accommodation wasn't suitable for winter, can you talk about what their accommodation is like?
2: It would differ, but uh, one of the workers who spoke to me was saying he always liked to live you know, in the islands with his window open, so he had to use a blanket, but the blanket was too small for him. And even if he had two blankets, he wasn't really able to um, get warm enough for him. And accommodation costs are also deductible.
0: So they couldn't, even if they wanted to, it would be too expensive for them to live in a house and have their own bedroom?
2: Well, the thing is, one is that they wouldn't want to, but the other thing is that when it comes to the seasonal employer scheme, it is very different to these kind of migrant worker schemes because your employer has a pastoral care responsibility for you. In return for the government allowing the worker in, the employer takes on the responsibility of housing the employee yeah, and also you know, the the transportation and their well-being and even if we were to say, well, maybe they could just negotiate with the employer and get another place to live. But at that point in time, they weren't earning any money because um, it was heading into winter in New Zealand and um, they weren't actually working. And even if they had been able to work, these are people who, when they come here, their sole objective is to save a max amount of money to, to, to send back home. So they're trying to send back a few hundred dollars every week and so if mm-hmm. that means you know punk beds pot noodles every day they'll do it mm-hmm. um and so even if you potentially gave them uh, the option i think that looking after their families back home would probably be a higher priority
0: but there is one case last year that really shocked him
2: i got a tip uh, about Bay, with a group of workers there from the Solomon Islands who, they alleged that their employer was not allowing them to go back home. And what they thought the reason was um, for that was that it was because they had complained about certain things, about the way they had been treated, about their pay, about a number of different issues. And they had had a confrontation with their employer.
0: And you, you actually got hold of a recording of that meeting.
3: So, we've got a group of 38 people going home on the 30th of June next week. You won't be on that flight. There's going to be potentially another flight the following week. You won't be on that flight either. Okay, the more you muck me around, the longer I'm going to wait to put you on the list to go home. If you've got a problem, ring the consulate. But I'm not going to help you anymore. I'm not going to prioritise you. Because you've disrespected me too often. And you've disrespected my staff.
2: I think the most shocking thing about the clip is um, it's not necessarily what's being said, because what, what's being said is jockey, but I think it's the tone. It's, mm. it's a sort of tone where everybody who has ever been talked down to in their life by somebody um, in a position of authority or power recognises that tone.
3: You got anything to say? You and I are going to have a chat when they leave. You are welcome to leave, but I will be calling immigration compliance tomorrow morning and telling them you've absconded. Look it up on Google. Find out what it means.
2: The fact that it was used in this context, you know, between an employer and an employee, that is not a context that, you know, everyday Kiwis would normally hear that.
0: And what was the outcome of that? Because, you know, in your story, you named the employer, you named the Labour Inspectorate who was involved, and you also named some of the workers. And I'm wondering, was there a, a, a good outcome in the end?
2: As I understand it, there may be still some things going on in the background around it. And so in the end... Immediately after the story was uh, published, the workers were suddenly whisked away to Auckland um, and they were told they were going on a flight back home. And at that stage, the story around the whole thing um, was massive. Um, at that stage, the workers realised that their claims were being heard and um, they, I guess, felt that, you know, after having calling for ages to be able to be let home, suddenly they're able to be put on this plane to go out and to a lot of people, I think it felt that it wasn't really properly investigated, especially because the workers themselves, there are actually still things going on, which I think different people can't say for various legal reasons around exactly what kind of settlements or arrangements have been reached. At the same time, I think that the um, workers definitely feel that them being sent back was um, very unfair to them after having got in trouble with their employer this time. They may never be invited back.
0: Because they spoke out.
2: Because they complained.
0: And Dalipa, how common is that? Is it a case where the workers are in a weaker position, so they put up with a lot more than people normally would put up with?
2: I think that there's definitely a lot of that going on. Um, I think that it actually is very dependent on the employer. And some of the people who are raising the biggest tackles around this were the RSE employers themselves, um, some of whom were actually very offended that another employer had done this. And they themselves highlighted, uh, you know, some of the problems with the way the system works and is regulated. In the Hawke's Bay example, you kind of have the Labour Inspector in the same area as... Some other aspects of the scheme and because small kind of area, there seem to be a lot of crossover in terms of people's personal connections and networks. Um, and so there's a lot of potential conflicts there. And so it's hard, I think, to get a true read on it. And then you have the other other problem, which is that um, the employer also controls a lot of elements of this. So some of the things about the RSE scheme that are most troubling are the kind of things that we... We wouldn't accept as a regular citizen in New Zealand or even as a you know, migrant worker in New Zealand. Like we wouldn't accept an employer saying, um, okay, you work for me from you know nine to five and uh, after 5pm, you're not allowed to go to the pub for a drink oh. uh, or you're not, allowed, you're not allowed to go out of your accommodation.
0: Why is that?
2: Well, this is the interesting other side of the coin because when you give people a pastoral care responsibility – you make them responsible for how these employees, I guess, behave uh, outside of work as well. And so I think there's a lot of employers who feel if they go to, you know, the pub and they buy some alcohol and they get into some kind of incident, Mm. then I'm going to be responsible for that. And they are responsible for that. And so a lot of them, the easiest thing to do is, okay, right. This is, this is your social schedule. Just don't go out, stay in your room. And to some degree, I think that, um, that, That is also what makes it very difficult for us to tell from the outside how this scheme is going and how the workers are. Because they have restrictions on the movement, they're less in society, um, right? There's less occasions um, for, for the crossover.
0: So what do you think needs to happen to improve the situation for the seasonal workers?
2: I think there needs to be a proper investigation of how we can separate out the regulatory functions from some of the promotion promotion functions, how we can uh, reduce the crossover in terms of personnel. Um, I think if there is going to be labour inspectorate supervision of uh, different areas of the country and how the season scheme scheme is working, we should try our best to make sure that the labour inspectors are not locals. We've got to try and somehow break up the tight circle of people who are involved in this whole thing. The Vanuatu National Workers Union has been helping RSE workers coming to New Zealand understand the terms of their contract, including the various deductions from their pay due to costs for things like transport, accommodation and laundry. Under some RSE contractors, the costs on workers are prohibitive. Furthermore, under rules set out in some cases by their own government, there are tight restrictions on what workers can do with their time out of
3: work while in New Zealand.
1: For example, the one that we're leaving now—you're not allowed for visitors to come over. Yeah,
3: why so is that? Need,
1: I have no idea. I mean, it's not a jail. Mm. It's it's we workers, it, so there's some things that we need to get it sorted. So,
0: so you're not allowed to have visitors at your house. What about going out and about once you've finished
1: your work or at the weekends? Oh, we, we're free to go anywhere we want. I mean, as long as you're not in trouble. <laughs> Out drinking and stuff, yeah. But now, when you come home, you're free to to go anywhere you like. Shopping, go to town in the weekends. We go out fishing, and we enjoy New Zealand. <laughs> and yeah, and if we want to go as far as Nelson and Kaikoura and all these places, we we just let um, all the pastoral cares know. So you
0: have pastoral carers. That's part of the contract, doesn't it?
1: Yes. So how does that work? They're the ones that bring information and bring our base lips and stuff, whatever we need from the big boss. So she's like a, a mother to all of us. If someone is sick, someone is, needs in family problem or stuff, we just talk to her and then she's just getting sorted for us.
0: Do you feel
1: that you're part of the community here? Uh, everywhere I go, I feel as I'm a part of this community. And sometimes when I go back home, I miss New Zealand because it's like a second home. <laughs> yeah. I mean, for the, for the start, like when the scheme just kicked off in 2008, coming, I mean, there's, there's racist comments, but now we are really, we, we've we been treated uh, very good in the Indian plenum. So we, I feel like a part of this community now.
0: Oh, so were you saying that um, when you first came here, that there was some racism?
1: Yes, yes. Back in 2013, uh, 2014 when I first got the pay, there was a lot of um, racist comments, but we just ignore it.
0: Does that mean if you don't get those kind of comments now, have New Zealanders changed in that time? Are New Zealanders a bit more open-minded?
1: I think so, yeah. I mean, they're starting to accept us as part of the community. But like once in a while, some crazy young people just travel around and this way I do that's that's normal. But well, in general, I feel I feel uh, comfortable. I feel like I'm, I'm back home.
0: Do you hear the negative stories about RSE workers?
1: I mean, we get negative comments and stuff, but the boys, we teach ourselves to always think positive. In life, there'll be negative and positive. There'll be comments and stuff, but that's what I do as a team leader. I always... Focus and think positive always. Yeah.
0: So so yeah. do you think that
1: this is a good scheme? Yes, yes. I mean, I come from a place where um, the wages is low. This is a nice place. You can do your gardening and stuff for free, but to buy a sugar or a salt that you really need every day, you need money. So I think this scheme has helped a lot, a lot of people. To me, this scheme has helped some of the boys that have never been to school. I work with some of the boys that... That's one of my friends is around about fifty, he's never been to school, but now he's got a, a big house, he's got a, a youth making transport, making business. So that's what I see that coming to, coming here is really, really good and it really helps us a lot.
0: The employers here they, they are obviously so pleased to have you back.
1: Yes, they are. And I before going home, they always tell me, please come back next year. <laughs> and I always come back. <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's it for today. I'm Sharon Brett-Kelly. The detail is public interest journalism, funded by NZ On Air and is a joint newsroom RNZ production. You can download us free to your mobile phone every day on any podcast platform. Alexia Russell produced this episode, Jeremy Ansell engineered it. And thanks to Ray Wanimut and Delipa Fonseca. Ka kite.